So it's really good to see everybody. I want to thank you all for coming, being a part of our class today. Um, let's go ahead. We'll open with a word of prayer. Uh, thank God for the many blessings on our life and asking to bless our time together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the joy and the privilege of being able to come into your presence and to study your word and be among your people. Lord, we thank you for the many blessings that you pour on our lives, for the food that's been placed in our belly today. Thank you for the people who provided that for us and uh, for this time. And so, Lord, we we recognize now that we need you desperately uh, to open our ears and our hearts and our minds and our lives to these truths. And I pray that as we study these truths, as we talk about them, that you will keep our minds and our hearts focused on you and your truth, that you will keep us focused on your glory and not ours. And I just pray that now in the next few minutes that you, Holy Spirit, will will please open our minds and our hearts so that we can know you more. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So in our group, last time we were together, we kind of talked about just a quick review um, we talked about uh, in the context of the life of Christ through a harmony of the Gospels, we went into a discussion on the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And just to quickly review what we learned about that, remember the Holy Spirit was sent by the Father and the Son uh, to convict us of our sins, to convince us of what Christ has done on the cross for us, and to confirm us as His children. So in that confirmation being regeneration, right? The Holy Spirit transforms and renews our heart so that we might become children of God. And so the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, we learned in one instance, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to contribute, attribute to Satan the things of God. Remember, Jesus came and was teaching truth and he was casting out demons. And then what did the Pharisees say? They said, he is the prince of demons. That's why he's able to cast out demons. And so they, they were being convicted of their sin. And instead of receiving that conviction and repenting and turning from their sin, what did they do? They blamed the one that was giving them this truth and said he was from the devil. So when the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sins in our lives, to attribute that to the devil would be to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is convicting us of sin and we attribute that to something other than God, that's a blasphemy, that's an act of blasphemy to, to reject that conviction, to, uh, to reject that. And so we also learned that Jesus taught us that our life is made up not only of, of, uh, who we are, but what we think, how we act, what we feel, our, our inner life is a reflection of, or our outer life is a reflection of our inner life. And there are people that have lived their entire lives rejecting God. And the more they reject God, the more dark their lives become. And Jesus said, be, remember he gave us a warning. He said, be careful that the light in you is not darkness. That we could be so self-deceived that we could think that we're walking in light when in reality we're actually walking in the dark. And that's a terrifying thing to think about. And and we do need to understand that even as Christians, we can fall into self-deception, can we not? Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, and, and, we, and again, as we see in these passages, as Jesus is confronting these crowds, a lot of the people that are really rejecting him and really hating him are the religious people, like the religious group, the, the religious right of that day, if you will. 
and it was the poor and the humble and the broken and the meek that were actually receiving this message. So uh, today what we're going to do is we're going to continue um, in the teachings of Christ. We're going to continue in uh, him teaching the crowds and, and more importantly teaching his disciples. The thing that, what was the one thing that differentiated his disciples from the crowds? Does anybody know? I'll give you a hint. My sheep know my voice, my name, my voice. And when they hear my voice, what do they do? Follow. Right. So a true indication that you are a child of God is that when you hear the word of God, you follow the word of God. It's trust and obey, right? And those two things coincide. If you are trusting him, you're going to obey him. When we find ourselves not trusting him, we find ourselves in disobedience. What is it called to not trust God? What is that called? Atheism. Well, it could be. It could be. But even Christians, we cannot trust him. That's a lack of faith. Yeah, it's an unbelief or a lack of faith. That's exactly right. And so if we are children of God, we're going to follow him. And so as he teaches his disciples as he's teaching the crowds around him he's his teaching is going out to all but it's the disciples as his sheep are the ones that are hearing the message and so what he begins to do and we're going to get more and more into this in the book of luke as we're going through it he starts teaching in parables he teaches with parabolic teachings he uses uh physical things to describe to us spiritual realities and you would think that in teaching these parables, he's teaching in such a way as that everybody can get it. But we, what we find out is, is that the reason that Jesus is teaching these parables is because by teaching in parables, his true disciples are drawn more and more to the message and want to know what it means. And the outside crowd hears it and thinks he's just a wackadoo. They, they're like, what is this guy talking about? And so the parable opens the ears of the believer and shuts the ears of the non-believer. Right? You would think that, uh, you, you would think that, uh, well, the message goes out to who? Who does the message of the gospel go out to? All of the world. The, the message goes out to all. But it's only those who receive him, those who believe him, who get the message and follow the message. And so today we're going to look at a couple of those parables, and uh, we want to start, uh, we'll just go ahead and read the entire text, and then we're going to go back and break it down into two halves. So let's look at Luke chapter 12, Lori, Luke chapter 12, and we are going to look at verses 13. Through 34. Alright? Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 34. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist in his possessions. Then he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? 
Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. He said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For the life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. For they neither sow nor reap, they have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot do even a little thing, why are you worried about other matters? Consider the lilies. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin, but I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass and the field which is alive today and tomorrow and is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying For all of these the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you need these things. But seek ye his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right, so now we're going to go back through. And I want to quickly overview everything that we've read here. And then we're going to break down these two passages together. So in the first parable, in verses 13 through 21, we see the parable of a rich fool. All right. Bible tells us not to call anybody. Almost sounds like almost. I wonder if this guy could be related to Cain. He could be related to any of us, right? No, I'm just saying because He's Cain, Cain was, and Abel. Oh, oh, I because, see. Because Cain was the same way. Cain, Cain was hoarding all his sheep and all his lambs, and, and then wouldn't give to God. Yeah, right. that's a good point, George. So this is a parable of a rich fool. And this is verses 13 to 21. So some of the things that we're going to see in this passage as we break it down verse by verse. In verse 15, Jesus warns us to watch out for greed. Right? Life does not consist in the things that we own. In verse 16, we're going to see that this is a parable. And we, we've talked about what these parabolic teachings are for. Um, and, and then we're going to see... The contrast between a greedy person and a righteous person. And as we break this passage down, we're going to see where he is constantly saying, me, me, my, my, my. It's all about who? Him. Right? And so, um, two of the main points that we need to get from this parable as we look through it is, number one, you're not going to take it with you. Right? 
what is the old saying? There's no U-Hauls behind the hearse, right? I had an aunt who I love very dearly who died when she was a hoarder. And I used to pick on her all the time and tell her I was going to put a U-Haul up behind her hearse just just for the, the message, you know. And, uh, and then it, not only do we need to realize that, that we're not going to take anything with us, but we also have to learn that when we store up for ourselves and are not rich towards God, we are in sin. For us in recovery, that's not a really big issue because we've lost everything so many times. When you start to gain things in sobriety, it's hard to let go. I mean, you'll stuff it in the back of your closet. Or it's hard to let go because you've lost everything and had nothing. When you build it up, it's gone again. So this is this is very important. There's another point coming up in the next parable I'm going to bring up about right. what we do. In so, in the second parable that we're going to look at today as we break these down in verses 22 to uh, 34 Jesus is telling us don't worry all right now it's not the old song don't worry be happy right that's not what it's about it's about not worrying don't then worry be faithful right be faithful and so we're going to see um that we shouldn't be worried about these physical needs that life is more than food and our clothing and I think one of the things that we're going to see in this passage that we need to remember. So how does God speak to us? Through the Word. All right. But there is actually another way that God speaks to both believers and non-believers. It's not through dreams. And that's not what I'm looking for. But God speaks to us through the specific revelation of God's Word. But God also speaks to us through natural revelation. What do I mean by that? The Bible teaches that if you read Psalm 19, you'll see that the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim His handiwork. Day after day pours forth speech. And, and in them you find knowledge. What do I mean? It means I can see the seasons go by. I can see the sun come up and go down. I can see the stars in the sky, the bird, the moon, the flowers, the trees, the birds, the bees, the seas. All of creation around me is screaming out at me all the time saying there is a God. Right. And even the atheist, even, even the atheist has to recognize (laughs) that there's something bigger than him out there. So God does speak to us through natural revelation. So think about this. The laws of nature are God's revelation, are they not? Mm-hmm. There's a law called the law of gravity. And what does that law say? It says if you step off of a building, you will fall. Right? And when you're a little kid, you start learning that law of gravity when you're walking, when you're learning to walk. When you teeter and totter, what happens? You fall down. You run around the coffee table, and your mom tells you to quit running around the coffee table, or you're going to bust your head open, and you don't listen, and what happens? You bust your head open. Why? Because gravity always works. It never fails. I have a friend of mine that likes to post these little videos on social media of people like crashing and falling and doing stupid things and getting hurt. And I always type on this thing, gravity wins. Like gravity always wins, doesn't it? And it works every time. Gravity never fails. Why? Because gravity is a law that has been instituted by the natural law of God. And God is consistent. And so we can learn from the world around us, the nature around us. And we're going to see that in this passage. Jesus is going to tell us to look at the ravens, look at the lilies in the field. So the reality is you can know about God from natural revelation. 
but you will never know God from natural revelation. Like you can't know God by staring at the the, the full moon laying out on your deck at night. Like you you can't know God by that. You can know that there is a God, mm-hmm. but you can't know Him. The way that we truly have a a saving knowledge of Him is through His specific revelation of His Word. But remember, Jesus is the Creator, is He not? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then on Him all things were created, right? He created everything. So Jesus is reminding them that the natural revelation around them is teaching them things about life. Jesus didn't exist until the New Testament. Though. No, that's not true. Jesus has always been. It tells you what the yeah, thing he, he was born. on earth. He, he didn't have a. He he was not. He's always been. He was even in the Old Testament. But he he clothed himself in human nature and walked among us when the New Testament came when he was born. But he he tell you can go look on your own when you get some time. You can look in John chapter eight or John chapter ten. He says, "Before Abraham was, I am." He's saying, "Before there was an Abraham, I was already there." But the Old Testament never talked about it. Oh, it it very much so, very much it, so. It, it actually says Jesus is here. Yeah. So you you you've heard of Psalms twenty three before. The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. He makes me. Okay. Jesus said when he came and walked among us, this is what he said: "I am the good shepherd." He was saying that whole psalm is talking about me. But that's not the Old Testament. Yes, it is. Psalms is the Old Testament. Psalms is the Old Testament? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's in the Old Testament. In the very beginning, George, in Genesis, it says the Word was with God and the Word was God. He created... No, that's in John 1. So I I would... the beginning in Genesis 2? I would refer you to go to look at John chapter 1 and read verses 1 through 14 of John chapter 1. And think about it. Just think about what it's saying. Okay, so back to the point... The point being is is that Jesus is reminding them that they can use the natural revelation around them as a way to learn lessons about life. All right? If you leave a plant out in the freezing cold, what happens to it? It, it wills and dies. If you, as a child of God, get away from the, the spiritual heat and light of God's Word, what happens? You will shrivel up and die. See, so I can take these little lessons about the world around me I see and apply them spiritually to my life. And what? Uh, so one of the other things that we're going to learn in this passage as we're looking at it is that we need to remember that the food and clothes that we have, the material possessions that we have, are simply things that we wrap around what is really life, mm-hmm. which is who we are spiritually on the inside. And the part of me that's on the inside is going to last how long? Forever. Forever. But even the skin and the hair and the bones that I have right now is going to go into a grave and turn into dust. Now, I have been promised that I will receive a new resurrected body in the same form that Christ received when, when he rose from the dead. He was, a resur- he was resurrected, and I am promised to have a body like his in the new kingdom, in the new heavens and the new earth. But this physical body that I have here is not going to inherit that eternal kingdom. Okay, So not only are we seeing that, but we're seeing the contrast between the temporary kingdom of this world that we live in and the eternal kingdom of God that is within us and around us. Do you see how that works? Okay, so let's go back now and let's look at um, that first passage, the parable of the rich fool. All right? Um, 
it says in Jesus, we need to understand that Jesus is constantly warning against um, misusing our resources. Against misusing our resources. Pursuing possessions and comfort leads us to a neglect of the pursuit of God. Let me say that again. Because, Lori, you can't apply this to life and recovery. Think about what it said. Pursuing possessions and comfort lead us to neglect the pursuit of God. So the Bible teaches us, Jesus teaches us, no man can serve two masters, for he will love one and what? Hate the other. And so we see this contrast between self and God. The world around me and my fallen nature within me teach me to love who? Love, you gotta love yourself. You gotta love yourself. But what does Jesus teach us? The greatest commandment is to love God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength, and to love your neighbors, to love others as you love yourself. Well, that's the most glorious moment in recovery is when we learn to trust Christ and we, because we get to actually see it and experience that things are being provided for us. We're being uh, sent in the right direction. And then we can give someone stuff out of our closet or give someone extra food. That's probably the biggest moment when you realize you're not trying to hold on to everything because you trust Christ. And right. that's a gift from that's also a gift from God. Right. And then applying right. that not only to a recovery life but to a life as a child of Everybody God. Should. It is a great moment. Remember when we're born again we're just babes. And even as a babe, what, what's one of the first words that a baby learns? No and what? Mine. Mine. Yeah. And so even as baby Christians, we, we're a lot of us about us. Oh, I feel good now. I, I have peace. Oh, it's like, and one of the greatest steps in our life as a child of God is when we start putting into practice what he's placed within us. Which is a love for him and others. Yeah, that's when we start, your life has changed. Yeah, completely. you're start. It, it started. You're starting to care about others. And, and we truly love ourselves more when we love God. Sure, our sure. That's true. So, um, pursuing possessions and comforts leads us to neglect the pursuit of God. Now, let's look at this first guy. This guy here. Some of the crowd said, "Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me." But Jesus said, hey, man who appointed me as a judge or an arbitrator over you. Now, in that day, a lot of times the rabbis would be an arbitrator in a, uh, or uh, an arbitrator in a, a inheritance case. Like they would go to the rabbi and say, hey, rabbi, our dad died and left this and this. You know, what are we supposed to do? That falls all the way back to the book of uh, uh, Deuteronomy or, or when Moses was the, the prophet over the children of Israel and they would bring all of their problems to him. Remember? Now, this guy says, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, what's so funny about that is this guy is not looking for an arbitrator. Right. He's looking for an advocate. So he's not asking. He's telling. No, no. he's He don't want somebody. So an arbitrator is somebody that comes in and hears both sides of the story and then makes a ruling that's fair to both sides. But that's not the way he came at him. He said, no. What this guy wants is my brother's got an inheritance and I need some of it. Yeah. Right, because his the oldest son right. here. Yeah, settle it. Still has to take. Yeah, settle it. And don't don't we do that as well? When we're selfish, when we oh, live boy. for us, even when we were kids, we go to mom and say, "Mom, he won't share this with me." You know, like we, it was always about us. So Jesus said, "Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed." 
For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist in his possessions. All right? So, the essence of greed is keeping what God brings your way for yourself. Yeah, but you don't have to have a lot to be greedy. Some folks just can be greedy that don't have Christ in their heart and just want to take and take and take from folks. Listen to what he said. You're right. But listen, the essence of greed is not how much we have. And how much we want to keep, the essence of greed is keeping what God brings your way. So it can be a little or a lot. Yeah. The essence is that if I'm a greedy person, I, it's about who? Yeah, me, 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 me. 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 And every one of us in this room, like when I was doing, when I was studying this, it, it really was convicting me. Because it's very easy for me to point out the greed and and the stinginess in others. It's very, right. yes. but but when but when you start reading it and applying this message to your own life, that's when you prove when you're truly a child of God because it's going to speak to you, and it's going to start pointing out to you areas of your life where you're still greedy. That's the way the word works, and a true child of God is going to hear it and do what follow in obedience. So, uh, the essence of greed is keeping the things that God brings your way. For yourself. Now, a fool. What is a fool? Um, one of the definitions I found for this is a fool is someone who acts without God or acts without wisdom in a self-destructive and way. And won't listen to wisdom. Right. So, it's someone who acts without God, acts without wisdom, and they're on a path of self-destruction. All right. About the guys with the hats, the pools. The Joker and a jester? Yeah. Yeah. Right. But that, that's not what this is saying. This is saying anyone who acts apart from God. Now, I want you to look at this. Look, look at what the man said. In the, let's look at this parable of this foolish rich man. He told him a parable. This is verse 16. The land of a rich man was very productive. So where does the productiveness come from for this rich fool? The land, right? God is the one that's supplying all of this richness. It's not Him. It's the, it's God is, and a lot of times we think about, well, I work hard for my money, but God is the one that gives you the health to work, and God is the one that puts breath in your nose, and God is the one that's provided that job for you, and God is the one that secures that that job is there the next day when you go, right? So, the focus should be on the blessings of God and not on what I have. You see how that works? But look what He says. He told him a parable, and in verse 17, he, who is this? The man, the rich fool, begins reasoning to himself. So who is he talking to? Himself. And we love to talk to ourselves because we don't, <laughs> we, we always agree with us. Yeah, that's, that's right. a fool right there. Yeah. Somebody else. <laughs> what, what about right. the ones that do talk to themselves, right. but they argue with themselves? So, well, reasoning to himself. Where should we get our reasoning and our wisdom from? From God's Word. You see? It's not about what I think and what I feel. It's about what God says. And so he says this. Uh, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? You hear how? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down. Uh, I will store my grain. I will say to my soul. But God said to him, you fool. And what he'll say to himself is, Gee, aren't I smart? Yeah. So, I say, I say, I say, but God says. Now, when we are convicted of our sin, when we are forced to recognize our shortcomings in our lives, we're going to act in one of two ways. When somebody comes to you and confronts you with your sin, 
whether it be the Holy Spirit or a friend or a brother in Christ who is being spurred on by the Holy Spirit to come and talk to you about something, what is going to be your reaction to that? Either you repent or turn away, or you just rebel. Yeah, either you're going to say, get out of my face. Who are you to judge me? You know, you're just as wicked as I am. Why are you trying to tell me something? Like, who are you to come trying to me? Trying to justify what they're doing. Right, that's exactly right. Yeah. You see? That, that's And that is one of our natural reactions. It's 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 very. If you want to get back to the basics of it, it's me acting like a child when my parents speak and put my fingers in my ear, going ah la 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 la. I can't hear you. But oftentimes it comes with violence. It comes with anger. It comes with resentment. It comes with persecution. So when we're confronted with truth, we're going to react in one of two ways. This fool relies on what. His own reasoning. And what, and Jesus called him that. He called him a fool. So, richness towards God, responding to God in ways he desires to honor him are works of service and compassion. So, we need to recognize whether or not we are rich towards God. Because that's what he says here. He says, look, <clears throat> in verse 21, the fool is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. <clears throat> now, when we think about rich towards God, one of the immediate things we think of is giving money at church. But the reality is, remember what Jesus said? He said, on that day, he said, you, I was naked and you clothed me. On that day, I was thirsty and you gave me a cup of water to drink. You came and visited me while I was in jail. And the people said, when did we see you? Who was in jail? Huh? Who was in jail? Jesus. He said, he was in jail and you came and visited me. Now, what is the point? The point is, is that it wasn't Jesus personally, it was his body. Who's his body? His church. The church, the believers. And so to be rich towards God is not just putting money in an offering plate. That's not what it's meaning. It's meaning to die to self and live for others. To be rich towards God's people. You see how that works? So you're giving that just your money, you're giving yourself to them. Right, the first thought in this man's head was I have all this abundance of stuff. I'm going to tear down a barn and waste all that money and effort. Share it with the folks around you. There's plenty. Right. So, Jesus is not condemning wealth in this parable. He's not saying, oh, you're a terrible person because you've got some money in the bank. <coughs> That's not what he's oh, saying. It's greed. Right? It's not a, it's not a condemn, uh, condemnation of wealth. But it's a condemnation of the way that we use it. And wealth doesn't necessarily have to be five dollars in your back pocket. God has given each and every one of you in this room. If you truly are a child of God, He has given you gifts and talents and abilities to be used for the building up of the kingdom. Right? Have you ever thought that your time and, and the fact that you take time out of your day to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ is a gift? Like you're giving back to God when you do that? You see how that works? So this is not a condemnation of wealth, but of how we use it. Now, another valuable lesson that we're learning in this parable today is life is not just the food and the clothes that we eat. Look what he says in 
Verse 19. I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Come and take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. Enjoy the comforts of this life. And what does Jesus say? But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? You spent all of your life obsessing over these physical things. Now and today, you perished, and now you can't take nothing with you. You're not taking any of it with you, and you have been rich to self and sparing towards God. And remember, we will answer for what we do. What's so important to you on earth is no one's going to do you no good in the kingdom. And that's exactly right. But think about what our lives consist of. How many of y'all enjoy commercials on the television or, or even when you're on your computer, even if you go on a web page now, as soon as you get on there, you're inundated with commercials, right? Yeah. What are all, what are most of the commercials about these days? Buy this or buy that. Sue somebody. <laughs> yeah, a lawyer saying sue somebody and get some money. All right, what else? What are some other advertisements come on to you now? Do stuff that will make you feel special. Okay. Yeah. Take a trip. You go on a vacation. Thank you, beautiful. Yeah. Something to make you the fountain of youth. There's something we've been chasing forever, isn't it? Oh, if I can only lose 30 pounds, right? Or if I can exercise, right? What else? Insurance. Insurance companies, right? What does it mean to have insurance? Basically, basically coverage. Yeah, you're safe, right? But you're not because there's a lot of things that these insurance companies don't tell you. Yeah, right? And so we spend our lives obsessing over this. And the world keeps throwing them at us. More stuff to obsess. Right. We chase these iPhones. I got an i10 now. I'm out of style now. I don't have an i14. You see? I don't have this or I don't have that. I ain't got the new one either, but it works and I'm right. happy with it. Uh, I, I can't tell you... That the number of days that I get in my car and crank it up and I'm thankful that I have a car. And it's a 2004. What year are we in now? 2020? Yeah, it's 20, almost 20 years old. It's about to turn 200,000 miles. And if the Lord willing, I'll drive it till it falls. And you know what? It was a gift from my grandfather. He gave it to me as an inheritance. And it's the first time in my whole life I've never had a car payment. And it's been the most... Just the, the stress of not being able to make those car notes and to pay yeah. all of that full coverage and insurance and stuff, all of those years that I went through all of that, when all I really needed was just something reliable. It's a it's a grand marquee. It's the last car in the world I would have ever picked for myself. I don't want a Mustang or a, you know, a F-150 or something really fancy. This is just a plain old car. To police, when I ride through the neighborhoods, people think it's a police car. They, they think it's about a car. They're going out. <laughs> right? But the truth of the matter is, is that that car has brought me so much peace because it's paid for. I don't have to pay anything on it. Now, granted, it has broke down on me and I've had to put some money into it. But nothing like putting that $500, $600 every 30 days down. And when you go to bed at night, you don't need to worry about somebody stealing that car either. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's just, You see, right, because people aren't going to steal that. That's one thing about being poor, good about being poor. The IRS and kidnappers never bother you, do they? Right? When you ain't got no money, there ain't nobody going to come kidnap you because you ain't going to pay no ransom. That's right. I, I, I can confirm what, what Steve was just saying. If you're poor, nobody's going to rob you. Right. I could refer to that because I'm, I bear witness to it when I was a kid. I was a kid. My dad wakes us up all in the middle of the night and goes, 
Were you kids up doing anything? No, we've been asleep, Dad. Get up. My dad flips on the lights. There's two guys going through our rummaging through the kitchen. And goes, man, you guys ain't got nothing. <laughs> wow. My brother said somebody broke wow. into his house and left him a TV. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think he was choking. I think he was choking. But now, what, the, the point I want to get to. The point I want to get to in this is, think about things in your life that you have obsessed over wanting to have. I was actually just talking about this at work the other day. Um, Like, right now in recovery, it's like I'm trying to learn how to be content with the things that I have and not focus on all those different things that I lost. Um, because it put me in a weird state of mind. So it's like now that I'm at Kroger, it's like, yeah, sometimes I may get discontent because I feel like I'm doing a mediocre job. Like, who works at a grocery store? And I'm just like, well, geez. Okay. Like, it kind of gets frustrating. I'm like, well, I, I went to school for what? I did this for what? You know? And so then when I go to work, I'm like, okay, you know what? You know, I am learning invaluable lessons here at Kroger. Like, no line. This is like the most uh, how to. I'm trying to figure out the nicest way to say it, but it's like the most um, demanding. Not demanding. Demeaning. Demeaning job I've ever had. Like I've gone to other jobs. It was just calm. Right. I go to jobs and I feel calm. I really enjoy doing my job. But this is the first one where I'm like, I've never seen the, t- the type of behavior that goes on. I've Good. never experienced yep. it in my life. Right. And so what's happening is, is you're being confronted with human nature all around you. And not only that, but remember, Jesus teaches us that if we see it in others, then what does that tell us? It's evident in us. Like we, So we use those as teaching lessons in our own lives. When I see somebody that's obnoxious or demanding or, you know, spoiled or... I have to realize that I have those those elements in my life, and I need to make sure that I'm not guilty of it. So he, he allows us to see the nature around us. It's like natural revelation. Like we see how people act around us, and it's like, boy, is this really how people are? Yes, it really is how people are. And not only that, but Jesus loved us despite that. Came but also look at the strength you're getting, being able to deal with that. You're working a job that you don't enjoy, but you're dealing with it. You're coming home. You're saving money. You've gotten your family back in your life, and you're dealing with a lot of things right now. It's temporary, but there's something for you to learn there. And that's why. <coughs> well, then you come home. So job that you don't like, you're miserable. Just for a spoiler alert. Then you're happy to be out there. Just for a spoiler alert, we fixed to get into the second parable. I'm gonna go ahead and just give you a, a something that we're gonna point out at the very end of the lesson today. One thing, but, real quick, but, yeah, just, um, I wonder <clears> what like Jay Z and Beyonce just throwing a name out there. They got a 25 million dollar mansion on the hill and five miles away at Skid Row, and they they're. Uh, I don't know. It seems like they're just being greedy, I guess. <laughs> well, it's it, like the rich fool. <clears throat> but but the the truth of the matter is, is there, are they any more happy than the people on Skid Row? They, you know, they, not. they 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 carry that appearance outward when they're out in public. But we know the lives of many of those. And we don't know if they're helping those folks. No, we have no way of knowing. Yeah, they may be. No they may so, be. So, just a spoiler alert, because we do need to get into a second parable before the class gets over with, but. Our spiritual life has never been intended to be a life of comfort. 
Right. That's what we're going to learn in this next parable. But our spiritual life consists of risks, exposure to our weaknesses and our vulnerabilities. So to grow spiritually, I need to die physically. And I need to, to grow spiritually, I need to die spiritually to the old man that I used to be and grow in the new that man that I am. So God allows me to see the shortcoming in others, not so that I can uh, judge them and bring them down, but so that I can recognize that, but for the grace of God, there goes I. Like it's only because God's grace is at work in my life that I'm not that way. And we're going to also learn today, I'm going to go ahead and another, space, uh, another uh, major spoiler alert, that God is never going to give us a call on our lives and put us in a place that His grace cannot be there with us, that it cannot sustain us. So one of the modern sayings is, God will not put you through anything that you can't handle. That's a lie from the pit of hell. God will put you in the situation that you can't handle. And what is the purpose of that? Why would God put you in a situation you can't handle? Huh? Because once I realize I can't rely on myself, then I turn to Him. And so God is going to constantly put me in situations in my life where I can't do it. Wouldn't it only take one experience for a person to learn? No. 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 We never learn. It, take, it takes our whole lives. All right, so let's look at the second parable. We got 15 minutes. We need. We really do need to try to cover this. Um, so the the parable regarding worry, food and clothing are the wrapping paper around the real gift. That was a quote from a guy named Daryl Bach. I thought that was a pretty cool quote. Mm-hmm. Food and clothing are simply wrapping paper around the real gift. What do I mean by that, Lori? Well, it. What is the real gift? Jesus Christ. Our lives. Our soul. Our life. God has given us life. It's a gift. He has created us in His image. Our faith is a gift. Right. Our faith is a gift. Everything that that we have spiritually is a gift from Him. So the food and the clothing are simply wrapping paper around the true gift. Now, we can act like children. I knew no children that, well, I know my. If you were to take uh, and give my dog or cat a present, right, they would be just as much interested in the box or the paper as they would right. be what's inside of it. Like, and, and the truth of the matter is that's what we do a lot of times, don't we? It's, it's the outside wrapping right. and what the appearance is as opposed to what's really on the inside. So we chase after these these appearances. Um, and, and that verse, look, look at verse 24. Jesus says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They don't have storerooms or barns, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than a bird? And which one of you can add a single hour to his lifespan by worrying? So ravens in the Bible, a raven is a dirty bird. Like, it's one of the birds you can't eat. Why not? Because they they eat flesh. They eat dead flesh. And so even though ravens are really cool, and I've seen some videos of people, like, teaching ravens how to talk and things like that. Like, they're they're really cool birds. But... In this context, they're a dirty bird, a filthy bird. Right? Not the Atlanta, not the Atlanta Falcons. They're, they're right. So according to the Jewish laws, you don't touch a raven. They're filthy. And so what is that teaching us? That God takes care of even the filthy 
evil people. Like one of the dirtiest birds that you could ever touch would be a vulture. Well, they they just it's the they're in the same class in the yes. Bible. They're all those types of virtual uh, hawks, owls, ravens. They're all listed as the same as unclean animals. So the point being is that God cares for even the unclean animals. God cares for the creation. Will He not care for the one that He put created in His image? Like you are His image bearer. There's, you can't say that about a cat, a dog, any animal, the sun, the moon, the stars, all of creation. Nothing in this creation besides man bears the image of God. We were created in his image. So if God's going to take care of the, the ducks and the turtles and the sheep, you know, those kind of things, he's certainly going to take care of people. All right? So... Uh, anxiety so what is this source of this anxiety he's telling us not to be worried what is the source of the anxiety the world well the world the flesh and the devil would be the source of anxiety but the reality is the reason that you're anxious the reason that you worry is because you are not in control that's why we worry because I'm not in control you ever thought about it? Well, we do. Even when you was just a little fella and you got beat up on the school bus and run home and you, you jumped in your mom's arms, she said, what? It's going to be what? It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And for a little while, it would be okay too. you had to get back on the school bus and go face that guy again, right? Mm-hmm. Where's your money, punk? Right. But just to be, just to have that <clears throat> assurance on the inside that it's going to be okay brings peace. And what Jesus is trying to teach us here is that food and clothing and, and our circumstances and nothing in this life is going to bring us that assurance that it's going to be okay. It's only in Christ and in salvation that our assurance comes. And so what do we do? Instead of relying on the assurance that God is taking care of us, that God is in control, we focus on the externals. We focus on our circumstances, our situation, our health. We focus on all of these things. Anxiety is a response to not being in control. It is a profitless activity. It does you no good to think about the fact that you're not in control. Some people try to act like they're in control. Not some people. We all do. Okay. Warriors and stuff. <clears throat> now, why is, why is worry and anxiety a sin? Because it is a sin. What is, why is worry and anxiety a sin? We're not trusting God. That's right. It's unbelief. Because we are not in control. And that is a reality. But the child of God understands that God is in control. And so all of this anxiety, all this tension that we have inside of us comes from the fact that we won't control. I want to control it. Now, the problem is, is that with that attitude, with that desire, with that reaching and grasping for control, whose hands am I trying to take it out of? God's. God's. And it's always going to lead to distress and anxiety. And the more we learn to leave it with Him, the less stress and anxiety we have. It's not easy at the Lord. I think about hanging from the edge of a building and God's got me by the arm and think, which is more important, the grip I have on him or the grip he has on me? Right. And I don't need to try to hold on to him. He's got me. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is, is that 
the worst thing that could ever happen in your life that you can think of or imagine is only going to last just a couple of seconds. You'll be with Him for eternity. Right? So, so we need to understand that worry casts doubt on God's care and God's providence. And it also allows other folks to see our doubt and we're claiming to be a child of God. It's very important. Okay? So, verse 29. Do not seek what you will eat, what you will drink, and, and do not keep on worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you need these things. But seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. So I'm going to either look for, seek for the things of this kingdom, this earthly temporal kingdom around me, or I'm going to seek for the things of the kingdom of God. And God will take care of the rest. Right. So, look at verse 30 again, because that's a very important way. It says, For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. Does anybody have something that said the Gentiles seek? Does anybody have the Bible say that? I know in the, Money? No, in no, it's in the it's actually in, in Luke it says that the things of the nation see in the book of Matthew it says um all of these things the Gentiles seek. So Jesus was speaking to a Jewish audience, referring to the nations around him. But what we need to understand is that in Christ there is no Jew or Gentile. We are all one in Christ. So it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or from a nation around, if you're a child of God, you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. You see how that works? It, it, so it's no longer about racial distinctions. Jesus, and matter of fact, it's never been about racial distinctions because Jesus came to save the human race. It wasn't about Jews, Gentiles, Africans, Egyptians, Norwegians, Canadians, etc., etc. Jesus came to die to save His people. And even our ethnicity or our race is an external thing around us, isn't it? Have you ever thought about that? Like, it really is. It's some of the wrapping. Yeah, it's just the wrapping. That's exactly right. And it's just covering the true gift, which is life. And so, when he says, these are the things that the world around you is looking for, stop looking for those things and look for the things of the kingdom. Now, why? Well, look at verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Alright? So think about what he's saying there. Who is the flock? We are. What makes up a flock? Believers. In this passage. The believers. His sheep. He's saying, stop worrying. I am the good shepherd. And I have given you the kingdom. That's what he said, right? Let's look at it again. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. So the kingdom is yours. What kingdom? The eternal kingdom. The new heavens, the new earth, the eternal age that is coming. And yet we as believers oftentimes spend all of our time worrying about the temporal things of this world around us. We're so worried about what we're going to be doing at 2 o'clock this afternoon that we forget that we have an eternity coming with Christ. You see how that works? Right? So... Sell your possessions, give to charity, make yourselves money belts which do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes nor malt destroys. Verse 34, and we'll finish with this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right. So let me, let me, uh, let me make a couple of comments and then we'll close with a prayer. How we use our resources communicates what is valuable to us. For most people, life is about gathering for self so that they can live. 
in comfort and security. People spend their whole lives trying to be comfortable and secure, and the more they try to be comfortable, the more secure they try to become, the less comfortable and secure they are. Why? Because they're grasping hold of vapors. They're grasping hold of a, a temporal world that is passing before their very eyes. About the time I learn how to use the I-10, the I-14 comes out. You, you see how that works? And it's the same thing with everything. About the time I catch up with the latest fashions in my clothes, they get holes in them and I have to go buy some new ones. Or the fashions change before I wear them out and then I have to go buy some more clothes. And then the old clothes just sit in the closet and then go back. We constantly live doing this. So our temporary, um, temporal needs is a short-lived reality. Jesus' audience is mostly made up of poor and needy people, those who are humbled by the difficulties of this life. That's just what you were talking about. It's tough to go to work every day and deal with people, isn't it? I go home, I don't want to see anybody. My family invites me to come over for parties you know, on the weekend. I don't want to go. Why? I've been around people all week. I want to be left alone. You see how that works? <laughs> what if it was God telling you to come right. to this party? Now, here's another thing. Think about that. We can apply that. I've just get, gotten into a huge dispute with my family because I brought up the fact that some people aren't going to church. Uh-huh. But on Sunday, what? why do people want to stay home? Man, I've been working hard all week. I'm tired. Yeah, I hear that a lot. I don't want to be with my family. So you see how I can apply that that earthly uh, example to my spiritual life. All right, so he says this. Um, he's speaking to people that are living paycheck to paycheck. He, he's speaking to people that are living day to day. That's us. Well, we have nothing we can offer God that he needs, but our our praise and our worship that we do on Sundays is so important. That's all he asks of us. One we have week. nothing else to give him that he would want or he would need. He doesn't need anything from us All right. except for our praise. So I want you to think about this. Hospitals, mental facilities, and funeral homes are filled with people who are emotional wrecks because they're not in control. And at those times, it's the most obvious to them that they're not. Many visits are uh, to the hospital, to mental facilities, to funeral homes. Many of those visits are not caused by physical illness, but emotional drifting. Right? It's not because they're physically sick. It's because spiritually they have drifted away from God. What about the ones that are in the funeral homes and the hospitals that are with God? Well, they have peace about it. Yeah. And you, if you've ever, if, if you've ever sat at the bedside of someone dying who is not a believer and sat at the bedside of someone who is a believer, there's a big difference. Night and day. Yep, it's a huge difference. All right, a major obstacle is trying to get get it all together so that I can start living for God. Right, that's one of the things we try to do. Let me get all together. And then I'll live for God. But the reality is, is if you get it all together, you don't need God. Right? So back to that point being God is going to put us in difficult situations. He's going to put us in situations that are going to cause us pain and suffering. It's not all about joy and happy and, and, and just living it up. Like life is tough. Why? Because this life is temporal. And so spiritual life is not one of comfort but one of risk exposures to weakness in our vulnerabilities. And then again, I want to I end the class with that last statement again because I thought it was very important. The call of God will never take us to a place 
that the grace of God cannot sustain us. God is never going to ask you to go to a place that His grace won't be there for you. So the point is, am I going to trust in His grace or am I going to focus on my circumstances, my surroundings, my ability, me, me, my, my, my. That's what the fool was doing, wasn't he? My, 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 me, my. All right. All right, I'll see you all in August. Uh, most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we've had together. Thank you so much for your love, your joy, your peace, your patience, your kindness, your goodness, your gentleness, and your meekness that you share with us daily. <clears throat> I pray that you will help each and every one of us grasp this lesson today. Um, it is so applicable to our lives. Lord, help me help them to stop depending on myself and trusting you more and more. Um, help me to focus on your kingdom to come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.